I got to stay away from the speakers. That's what makes it hum. I have the remote in my pocket. So we'll begin with the review, as we always do. Acts 21, 37, all the way to 22, 21. Title last week was The Saga Continues. Now I want to go back two weeks. Two weeks ago, Paul and his missionary team arrived in town. They arrived in Jerusalem. James and the elders of the Jerusalem church, they met with Paul and his guys to hear and debrief what God had been doing through them. Paul and his men shared their stories. James and his guys shared their stories. One common theme they found out, God had been saving souls like crazy out there on the mission field right here in the city of Jerusalem. Thousands. We rejoice when we see one person come to the Lord, and we should. The angels in heaven rejoice over one soul that comes to know Jesus. But what about when there's thousands coming to know him? Can you imagine the excitement in the church? Can you imagine the impact on the community and the culture and the society when thousands of people are coming to know Jesus and changing their lives? Steve already reminded us in his prayer that God has given us a vision of 100,000 precious lost souls coming to him in our area, in our region. And we'll have a big part in that. Not the only part, but we'll have a big part in that. However, in the midst of all that good news, God was saving souls out there. God was saving souls in here. In the midst of that, the elders and James were very concerned because false rumors, misinformation, you know how damaging that can be. False rumors, misinformation reached Jerusalem concerning Paul and his companions, some really ugly stuff. And they were afraid that these Jewish new believers wouldn't accept Paul or his companions. They would cause trouble. So they devised a plan. We talked about the plan. Right or wrong, this was the plan. We'll have Paul act like a Jew when he's in Jerusalem. And if he acts like a Jew, then everyone will know that the rumors are false. Paul does still observe the Jewish laws, customs, and everything will be okay. We'll all live happily ever after. Well, the plan didn't work. This is all stuff we've already looked at. The plan didn't work. It almost worked, but it didn't work. They realized Paul was there. Mob violence, riots, unrest broke out in the city. They beat severely, and they tried to kill Paul. That was two weeks ago. Last week, the mob's intent is thwarted. Paul is rescued by the Roman guard, and somehow they're able to then quiet the crowd. Paul's actually given permission to address the crowd. So he begins to tell them his salvation experience, his testimony. And it's a classic salvation testimony. What he once was, how he met Jesus, what he is now. There's a lot of filler that goes in that, but those are the three facets of a classic salvation testimony. This is who I once was. Then I met Jesus, and this is how I met Jesus. And now this is who I am because Jesus has made these changes in my life. That's a salvation testimony.
We look rather extensively at Paul's salvation testimony. He was talking to this angry mob that was trying to kill him. We've said many times, Paul, much to our chagrin, and unlike us, takes every opportunity he gets to tell people about Jesus. The mob's trying to kill him. He's looking for a way to talk to them about Jesus. He somehow gained permission from the Roman guard to talk to the mob. And the mob quieted down and listened to him. This was last week. And we closed with the question last week, was his salvation testimony successful? Did it really accomplish anything? And we said, we'll look at that this week. So this week, would you stand with me? I want to have Deborah come to the mic. Deborah's going to read for us Acts 22, 22, cross over into Acts 23, all the way up to verse 11. Deborah, you can begin reading. They had given Paul audience up to this word, and then they lifted up their voices and cried out, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not right that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their robes and threw dust into the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and ordered that he should be examined, examined by scourging, that he might know for what cause they cried so against him. And when they had bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood over him, Is it lawful for you to scourge a Roman citizen who is uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went to the chief captain and said, Be careful what you do, for this man is a Roman citizen. Then the captain came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? Paul said, Yes. And the captain answered, saying, I obtained Roman citizenship with a great sum of money. Paul answered, but I was born to it. Immediately, those who were ready to scourge him left him alone, and the captain was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman citizen because he had bound him. The next day, because he desired to know the truthfulness of the charges which the Jews had brought against Paul, he unbound him and commanded the high priests and all their council to appear before him. And he took Paul and brought him down and set him before them. And as Paul beheld their assembly, he said, Men, my brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Aniasis commanded those who stood by his side to strike Paul on the mouth. Then Paul said to them, said to him, God shall smite you, O you hypocrite, for you sit to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself transgress the law when you command that I be smitten. And those who stood by him by said to him, Do you even revile the high priest of God? Then Paul said to them, Brothers, I did not know that he was a high priest, for it is written, You shall not revile the ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that part of the people were that part of the people were Sadducees and the others were Pharisees, he cried out in the assembly, 
Men, my brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and it is because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am here to be judged. And when he had said this, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the people were divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angels nor soul, but the Pharisees believe in them. Then there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the party of the Pharisees rose up and argued, saying, We find no fault with this man, and if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, there is nothing wrong in that. And because there was a great disturbance among them, the chief captain, fearing that they might tear Paul to pieces, sent Roman soldiers to go and seize him from among them and bring him into the castle. During the night, our Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be strong, for as you have testified concerning me at Jerusalem, so also you are to testify at Rome. You may be seated. Wow, there's so much in that passage. Can I have you for just a couple of hours today? Would that be okay? We're in that section of Acts where there's these long narratives that you just can't break them off without missing something. And so we're going to exegete this passage, which simply means we're going to give the facts of the, of the verses. We're going to make some commentary. But the application is really going to come at the very end. Something that you might not act just right away pull out of that passage, that God wants to speak to us, his church. Something that's going to be very good for us in these days ahead. Something that's going to be very necessary for us if we want to be effective as the church in our society and our culture with the way things are going in the days ahead. Let's go to the next slide. It's Acts 22, and it's two verses. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fella. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, they threw off their coats, they tossed handfuls of dust into the air. So again, just like the former plan, have Paul act like a Jew. Paul giving his testimony to this angry mob, although they quieted down and they listened, seemed like it wasn't going to work. When he said the word, anybody know what the word was? It wasn't in the passage today. It was last week. When he said the word Gentiles, they lost it. The Jews could not handle that God was showing mercy and compassion to the Gentiles. That he was offering, actually offering salvation to the Gentiles. Jews hated Gentiles. Remember, that's partially what this whole thing is all about. They accused Paul of taking Gentiles into the temple, which he did not. In the rank-and-file Jewish mind, Gentiles could not be saved. Maybe if they first became Jews and submitted themselves to the law, submitted themselves to Jewish customs, religious practices, and so on. Maybe then, but even then, it was sketchy if Gentiles could ever truly be saved in a, in a Jewish mindset of that day. So the mob now is back into a frenzy, and they again want to kill Paul. Away with him. He doesn't deserve to live. They were shouting. They threw off their coats. 
They tossed handfuls of dust into the air. They lost their minds. They were out of control. Irrational. Mob violence is scary. You cannot reason with an angry mob. It's unfortunate, and especially in our Christian mindset, we struggle with this, but at times it takes force to deal with force, whether we like it or not. Here's a scriptural principle for us. This goes, we jump off the text, we go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is simply human beings, human people. Against authorities, the powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil refers to Satan and that whole hierarchy of demonic forces that stand against God and stand against God's people and stand against his church, stand against the spread of the gospel, stand against the advancement of the kingdom. It does not explicitly say so in our text, but there is a good chance this mob violence against Paul Although it was humans carrying it out, there was a good chance it was being perpetrated by these unseen forces of evil trying to stop Paul, trying to stop the spread of the gospel, trying to to stop the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. One common mistake I want to make when Scripture says we struggle not against flesh and blood, that does not mean we don't have any flesh and blood enemies. When flesh and blood sides with the demonic forces, they are, just by choice, whether we like it or not, enemies of the church. They're enemies of God. They're enemies of God's people. God is not willing that any should perish. Salvation is always the ideal. But we can sort of be lulled into sleep into thinking that they're not at fault. The battle's up there. Well, the battle is up there, but it influences down here. And those who follow that become enemies. Is that clear? It's, that passage is not saying we don't have any human enemies. We do. There's people that would just as soon kill you now as a Christian as welcome you. There are Christians all over the world today dying because of their faith at the hands of human agents. The demonic is stirring it up. The human has given themselves to the demonic and is following that. Beating a dead horse, you get the point, right? So this isn't a sermon on spiritual warfare. That's all we're going to say about it today. But I thought it would be a good place for us to hear this. The demonic forces of Paul's day did not go away. Those who were stirring up that mob to get Paul are stirring up forces to try and get you and try and get us and try and get the church. Those demonic forces are alive and well today. They're still very aggressive. They're still active in opposing God's work on earth today. For a long time in the Western Hemisphere and in America, we were able to keep those demonic forces at bay because of our Judeo-Christian values. This country was formed on Judeo-Christian values. The demonic did not have an open door. That's not true anymore. 
We have discarded our Judeo-Christian values, and we have embraced all sorts of other things that's anti-Christ doctrine. And now the demonic is, again, very aggressive and very actively pursuing God's people, even in this country. But I say, let's not let the demonic win the day. I will build my church. Finish that for me. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is not supposed to be on the defensive with the demonic on the offensive. The church is supposed to be on the offensive with the, with the demonic on the defensive. We got to get this thing reversed before it's too late. This is not a sermon on spiritual warfare. It's just turning into one. Some of you in here, and I know this, hmm, some of you have at times felt the brunt of that battle yourself, haven't you? Some of you are feeling it right now, today. You have felt the pushback from the enemy. Not a, not a sermon on spiritual warfare, so we're going to move on. The commander brought Paul inside and he ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? So Paul's again rescued from the mob by the Roman guard. But it seems like he's just going from the, how do you say that, from the frying pan into the fire. He's about to get lashed with whips. The angry mob's not beating him. The Roman guards are going to. Lashed with whips. The purpose of this was to beat the truth out of Paul. And this lashing with whips was a particularly brutal Roman practice. It left most crippled or dead. In verse 25, though, Paul asks, just like he did last week, may I have a word with you? This time he says, wait a minute, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? Hmm, interesting question. When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. The soldiers quickly withdrew when they heard that he was a Roman citizen. And the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. It was a huge no-no to punish a Roman citizen prior to fair trial and conviction. Especially this punishment, which usually left their victims crippled but mostly dead. So at this point, the commander hadn't even been able to ascertain what the crime was, and he was going to punish Paul. As pagan as the Roman Empire was, innocent until proven guilty was the mantra of the Roman judicial system. Well, this caused quite an up uproar among the guard. What to do? Now is the dilemma. What if Paul goes to the higher ups? We're in big trouble what if he decides to press charges, which Paul's never interested in pressing charges. He's interested in pressing the gospel and seeing lost souls get saved. The next day, the commander, commander ordered the leading priest into session. That's these Pharisees and Sadducees that were trying to kill Paul. 
He ordered the leading priest into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about. So he released Paul to have him stand before them. So now Paul is before the council. This is the council, the ruling Pharisees, the ruling Sadducees. This is the government, the high, this is the federal government of the nation Israel. This was the same ruling body that agreed to Jesus' conviction and crucifixion. Uncertain if there's any leader still there present today because we're about 20 years past Jesus' time now. But maybe, maybe someone this council were on that council, gathered at that council. And the commander wanted to find out what exactly is going on here. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. Oh, do you recall Jesus' uh, experience with the council? When he said something like that, they slapped him in the face. The high priest commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But But Paul said to him, God will slap you. You corrupt hypocrite. What kind of a judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Paul began his defense, and he promptly gets punched in the mouth. But it was against the law for one Jew to publicly strike another Jew in that way, one that hasn't been tried and convicted. Paul attacks the inconsistency of legalism here. You want to kill me Because you say, I don't follow the law. Neither do you. Those standing near Paul, you can see him probably backing up a little bit. Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. We could preach a sermon on that today. How we speak about our rulers, whether they're godly or not, and whether we like them or not. But we're not going there. It's not a sermon about that. I'm sorry, Paul said. I didn't realize he was the high priest. Now, was Paul seriously apologizing? Some commentators believe that Paul was actually being sarcastic. Behind this statement, I didn't realize he was the high priest, was the essence that I didn't realize he was the high priest because a high priest worth worth his salt would never have done that. Maybe he was saying that. Others feel Paul was offering an apology of sorts. And then by referencing the scriptures, scripture says you must not speak evil of your rulers, referencing, referencing especially the law, He may have done it to appease them because they love the law. When Paul said, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite, what kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Paul's words were more prophetic than he realized when he said, God will slap you. History speaking, not so much in Scripture, Ananias was a Jewish high priest who was very friendly to Rome, and this made him extremely unpopular with Jewish nationalists. He had many enemies. And not too long after Paul's statement, Ananias was assassinated by his own people. 
I guess you don't want to slap the Apostle Paul. Paul realized, we're, going, we're getting to the, the verses that are going to lead to our application. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees. Some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors. I'm on trial, basically, because I'm a Pharisee, because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. Some historical information will be useful for us. Sadducees and Pharisees, they were two different ruling parties in the nation Israel in that day. They hated one another. The only thing that would bring them together here was a greater hatred by both of them for the Apostle Paul. Hatred brings unusual allies into line. They hated each other on any day of the week, but this day they're allied against Paul. Keep that in mind as we move towards an application. Paul knew this. Paul knew they hated each other. Paul knew they had completely different theological doctrine and beliefs. And he played it to his advantage. He shouts out, I'm a Pharisee, which is true. He's no longer a Pharisee by office, but he is a Pharisee by belief and doctrine. My hope is in the resurrection. Sadducees don't believe there's a resurrection. They don't believe man has a spirit. Everything's empirical. I believe in the resurrection. You'll see later. I believe in angels. I believe this is the hope of man. I believe in spirit. Man has a spirit. He's a spiritual being. Paul's yelling this stuff out to the crowd. He knew the Pharisees would agree with that. He knew the Sadducees would not. It may just turn them on each other. And if it did, that could be a huge advantage to Paul. It did. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. They forgot about Paul for a moment. The Sadducees say there's no resurrection, there's no angels, there's no spirits. The Pharisees believe in all that stuff. So there was a great uproar. Can you picture the scene? It's exactly what happened. And it's going to end up sparing Paul's life again. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully, we see nothing wrong with him. Can you believe that? We see nothing wrong with him? A few minutes ago, you're beating him and trying to kill him. Now, all of a sudden, he's an angel. What are you Sadducees doing trying to kill this man, Paul? We don't see anything wrong with him. The inconsistency of legalism. Drives me crazy. We see nothing wrong with him. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. And as the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart, so he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force, taking him back to the fortress. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. This is referencing Paul's salvation testimony, that experience he had on the Damascus Road when the Lord Jesus, a, a light, a voice, the Lord Jesus spoke to him. Paul shared that with them the day he met Jesus. Now, before we get too excited and think they're moving towards becoming Christians, they weren't in any way ready to admit that the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Paul, but they were willing now to go as far as to say maybe it was an angel or a spirit, just despite the Sadducees. 
because they don't believe in that. (laughs) This is the kind of stuff that plays out on planet Earth in society that just drives you crazy. In government. The agendas and the, the graft and the, the corruption and you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. Where we've come to with all that. So they, the Pharisees were willing to admit something did happen on the Damascus Road and the Sadducees would not, would not admit that and that just fueled this fire. They were at each other's throats now rather than Paul's. It's exactly what Paul was hoping would happen. Paul again is rescued by the Roman guard. That night, this is the last verse of the passage, then the application. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul. This is the night that he was spared from the angry mob for the second time. The Lord appeared to him and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Before I go into explaining this, I I just want to say a word to us Because many of us are experiencing some adversity in our lives, because there is pushback from the enemy and and there seems to be some spiritual attack, although we never become demon conscious, you know. We're never told to become demon conscious and look to see what what the enemy's doing. We're told to be Christ conscious and to be looking to see what God is doing. And if the enemy happens to crop up, then we'll face him. But we're not looking for him and we're not crediting him with everything that goes wrong. Although he does get involved, and we know that. We're not to be ignorant of his schemes. What I want to say is, in the midst of some of the severest adversity that we are facing, and some of it is, is pretty tough, we don't have it nearly like the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ and Christians in other places in the world. When I hear us me, complaining about how tough life is for us Christians here in this country. I have to think, oh my gosh. And I do it. And you do it. We complain about all these major things when actually, Paul said, these light and momentary afflictions are nothing to be compared to the glory that's ours in Christ. If we could just remember that, try and help yourself remember that, I'll try and help myself One thing that will help us is if we become more others conscious and less self-conscious, less about me, more about you, more about your needs, less about my needs from my perspective. And if we're all living like that and if I'm caring about your needs and you're caring about my needs, guess what? All our needs are being met. Right? So this word from the Lord, be encouraged. It had to be so encouraging. It had to be so strengthening. It had to be so affirming because we've been following Paul for a number of chapters. And he desperately needed this word from the Lord. One reason is he was telling everybody he wanted to go to Rome. He was telling everybody he felt called to go to Rome, that he was under compulsion by the Holy Spirit to go to Rome. But he keeps running into these roadblocks and almost getting killed on the way by angry mobs, would make you begin to question if you heard from the Lord, right? Right? Now he knows for sure, because God told him very directly, not just through prophetic voices that he had heard along the road. Now he heard it from God, you will end up in Rome. You know what that does to Paul? 
it doesn't matter if they throw me out into the midst of that angry mob. They're not going to kill me because God has just told me I'm going to Rome. That's the upside. The downside is God said, you're going to suffer the same thing in Rome you suffered here. But we'll let that, we'll let that go for now. No, we're not talking about that right now. I just want to show you something else. This is not the first time that the Lord came to the Apostle Paul when he desperately needed a word from the Lord, a word of encouragement. You should remember this if you've been with us. Acts chapter 18. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. I am with you. No one will attack you and harm you. I have many people, many lost souls in this city that we're going to reach. The city was Corinth, Greece. Paul had just been beat down in Athens. He walked from the 50 miles from Athens to Corinth alone. He had no companions with him. When he got to the city of Athens, it says he was troubled, he was discouraged, he was intimidated. Many commentators feel he was about to bail on Christianity. He desperately needed this word that God gave him in Corinth so he could continue on. Same thing now down in Jerusalem. God gives him the word that he needs. Application. Perhaps right now, this is not the application to the message, but this point. Perhaps right now, you're greatly struggling. You're discouraged about something. You're fearful. You're ready to give up. Whatever it is, ask the Lord for a now word. Ask him to give you a word of encouragement. As great as the apostle Paul was in our eyes, earthly speaking, you're no less great than him because you're in Christ. And he will speak a word of encouragement to you if you ask him for it. The Lord loves to speak encouragement He loves to speak strength into his children, into his servants. So we've covered the text. We've we've given the facts of the test. How about an application? Something that God wants to say to us from what we've studied that's going to be great help to us. Or it's at least, bless you, it's at least going to give us something to think about. And maybe some of us are already there. And some of us really need to hear this. Paul is a master tactician. I think that's the word. Tactics. Tactical. Paul is a master tactician. Paul is extremely adept at strategy. We saw it in the way he maneuvered the situation and the circumstances that he was in. I'm a Roman citizen. Whoa. Hey, what are you doing? You're, you're whipping a Roman citizen. Got himself freed from that situation. I am a Pharisee. I believe in this. I believe in that. What? They all turn on each other. He's like, whew, dodge that bullet. Was that okay for him to do those things or not? How many say yes, that was okay? How many say no? How many don't know? 
Well, some would argue that that was very devious and very deceptive and unbecoming. A Christian man, the level of Paul. Others say, no, it was brilliant and wise. What thinkest thou? It's a thought for us to consider as Christians in these perilous times in which we live. So I want to give us a principle from Scripture. I think God wants to give us a principle from Scripture for how we can matriculate these these tricky waters in which we live in society and culture today. And here's the principle. Look, Jesus speaking. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. Believers today are finding ourselves more and more among wolves, more and more in very difficult situations which we're not sure how we're to act, how we're to respond. We're often caught between this principle of love and truth. Well, if I, I really love, aren't I compromising truth? And if I don't compromise truth, then am I really loving? And we find ourselves caught in this thing, this trap. And, of course, then we're accused if we stand for truth, you're not very loving, you're intolerant. Christians are narrow-minded and intolerant. But if we love, then we hear, well, how can you be a Christian and, and do that or condone that or permit that? Those are difficult questions, especially in the moment. One thing to avoid, a trap that I fall into, at the risk of just a few more minutes. Don't conjure up situations in your mind and then try and figure out how you're going to respond to it. That is a dead end. Well, if they say that to me, well, then you know what? Well, I'm going to say this to them, and well, then, again, I've said this before. That drives me crazy, bringing up those what-if situations and trying to resolve them when they never happened. You can't live in the what-if. God doesn't live in the what-if. God lives in the what-is. Not what if this happens, but this is true. This is happening. So don't even try and formulate the argument beforehand. But here's another principle that's not the principle for today. God has promised that when you're in that situation, if you're faithfully living for him, he will give you what to say. How's that? He will actually give you the very words to say. That works much better than me trying to figure it out and then going in and bumbling it all up. I just wait, and when God gives me the words I speak in, and if he doesn't give me any words, and this can get very awkward, when he doesn't give me any words, I don't say anything. You know, it's like, Have you ever been, help, I'm talking and I can't shut up. (laughs) I hate when I get like that. Many in our ungodly culture and society today, they no longer have an affinity for Christianity. They They no longer have an affinity or sympathy for our God and our values. I have told you this story before that there was, it was being the same-sex marriage, I guess, or something along those lines, was being debated in Congress. And one of the congressmen was speaking from Genesis, male and female, he created them. 
The reason he created them male and female was so that the man would leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, female, and become one flesh, marriage, and produce children. And he was promptly shut down by the chairman of the Congress saying, your faith and your God and, and your values are, have no place in this Congress. That's what we're up against. How do we address that? How do we be as shrewd as snakes, but yet as harmless as doves? Shrewd means to think wisely. Shrewd means the ability to govern one's life, to govern one's thinking wisely and with good understanding. This is interesting and I think very helpful, can be very helpful. The thought here is, and we need to hear this, we are to be the master, not the victim of our circumstances. I love that thought. We are to be the master, not the victim of our circumstances. Believers, we are not to be living at the whim of or tossed to and fro by or defeated by life circumstances, but by and through the power of the Lord available to us in the Holy Spirit, as much as is possible, we are to take control of our circumstances. And if we can't actually take control of the external circumstances, which you can't always do, we are to be in complete control of ourselves in the circumstances. Live life wisely. Live life with good understanding, in control in all situations and circumstances. Paul correctly assessed the situation, and he knew that he could get out if he informed them he was a Roman citizen. And then he knew he could get out if he turned to Sadducees against the Pharisees. And so he did so. Live life wisely with good understanding, in control in all certain situations and circumstances. Too often... We allow our situations and circumstances to control us, to control our thinking, to dictate our responses and our reactions. Man, Jesus was always in control. And Paul said, I keep control of my body. I beat my body into submission, meaning I'm always in control. I don't let my flesh get out of control, no matter what situation or circumstance I'm in. That's a tall order. Try it. It's tough. Your mind wants to go all over the place. And here's the way we live in our society today. Our thoughts control our behavior. And we allow our emotions to control our thoughts. What we need to do is reverse that, and we need to control our emotions by our thoughts. Then we control our behavior. We're taught that, you know, if you feel this way, do it. Well, when I was growing up in the 60s and everything, if it feels good, do it. Live by your emotions. We let our thoughts control us when we're to be controlling our thoughts. But wait, aren't they all the same? No, they're not. Your mind is where your thoughts are. You, the real you, is your soul. And the way God ordained it is by your soul, you control your mind. What a great way to live. Now, the other side of the coin, be shrewd as snakes, be harmless as doves, that simply means Pure in motive. You know, it doesn't actually mean we never use force. It doesn't actually mean we never take a stand. It's not so much in the action as in the motive. 
harmless as doves, no malicious motive in what we're doing, even though we may have to take firm, harsh action at times. When you discipline your children is a classic example. You have to be very firm with them, but it's, it's not a malicious intent. It's coming out of a heart of love. Love does have to be tough at times. God is love, and God is tough at times. Even as we deal with an unscrupulous world, even as we're out among the wolves in our mission to tell others about Jesus, we're to be shrewd as snakes, wise and understanding, always in control, at least of ourselves, if not the situation. But we're to be harmless as doves, pure motive, no malice towards anyone. Got that? Last slide. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let's pray together. Dan, if you'll come to the mic. Congregation, if you'll stand. Band, if you'll come up. Was I not on the whole time? Oh, I guess we're both on now. Dan, wait till we're all settled and then... I was taking notes, but from what Pastor Hub said, let the Lord speak. So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day and the wise words that you gave Pastor Hub to give to us. What I found, one of the things that came to me is... Today's society is not that much different than biblical times. There's a lot of stuff going on today that even though it's a more modern world, a lot of stuff happened back then with mobs and crowds and anger and whatever you want to put together. A lot of that stuff's going on today. So, Father, help us live like Paul. Let us listen for your voice, for your words, the knowledge and wisdom that you gave, Paul, that we can pray about. We can talk to our fellow man, slow to anger, quick to speak the words that you give us, calm compassion. Father, we could, we could certainly learn a lot from Paul. We can learn a lot from the words that are written in the Bible. Please give the motivation to all these people. Pick up the book. Read the words. Go over all the passages and acts as Pastor Hub has preached. Listen and live. Especially live through the word. Through you, Lord. Through the Spirit. Spirit has been moving today inside this church. It's been moving a lot today inside this church, Father, and we thank you for that. 
for all those people here today, just get something out of this sermon, out of these prayers, out of this music. Reach out to somebody else and just reach out and just say, listen, brother, sister, you got to come. Come to church with me. Learn the Lord. Learn how he lived. Learn how Jesus lived. Learn how Paul lived. And let us strive to live that way. Be unapologetic in your belief, in your faith. Reach out to heal if somebody needs heal. Reach out and pray for somebody who looks lost. Father, we just thank you so much for all that you do for all of us. Whether it's help doing a small plumbing job or just help to get through that day. Whatever it is, Lord. Whatever it is. And anyone who is in this sanctuary today is my brother and my sister. And any extended family is my brother and my sister. So, Father, thank you so, so much for all that you do. For everything that you do for us. Because your love for us is so amazing, we can't even fathom how great that love is. But let us all reach out to show that much love to somebody else. Smile. Say, God loves you. Lord, thank you for all you do. We ask this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.